0: Hey, you're listening to the Seven Hills Church podcast. If you want to learn more about the church, including upcoming service times at a location near you, visit us online at sevenhillschurch.tv. We hope this message helps you win the day. Matthew chapter two. Let's look at verse 13. I'm reading from the NIV here because it's my primary study Bible at home. But it says, when they had gone. That's the first few words of what I want you to focus on if you've got a new living translation. um, Actually, most translations will say after they had departed. I think the Message Bible says after the scholars had left. Some say after the wise men had departed. Everybody say after. after. So I pull out my Bible app. And when it came to the Christmas story, I read every translation I could get my hands on just looking for a different word, different language, different um, things that would maybe help the Christmas story come alive to me in a different or a new way. And I love looking at all the different translations because each of them many times has, again, just a nuance to it that, that helps me get it differently. And so it was with this particular Christmas story, I read through it, And when I got to verse 13 in the New Living Translation and it used that word after, it just stuck out to me. For some reason, just the word after hit me very, very, uh, just differently in my heart than normal. And so when they had gone, or after they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child, Jesus, and his mother, Mary, and escape to Egypt. Everybody say Egypt. That's what I'm gonna talk to you about, the Egypt experience. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so it was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt, I will call my son. We can stop there. Again, if you read verses one through 12 of Matthew chapter two, you run into the beautiful story of the very first Christmas scene. We all know it well. There's the shepherds, there's the angels, there's Mary and Joseph, Jesus as a newborn child, and the idea that God would become man, that the Son of God would show up in this sin-filled planet and give his life to redeem the world begin to unravel in real time. The Bible actually said it was in the fullness of time. In other words, before the world began, this moment had been planned. And now, like a mother having a child, those contractions begin to happen. And in the fullness of time, God sent his son to redeem the world. The angel announced, this is good news that it would bring great joy, and it was for all the people, that there wasn't one person that would be excluded. There wasn't an ethnicity. There wasn't any type of social status. It didn't matter what your background is or your pedigree might be. It didn't matter where you come from. None of that mattered. This is good news that will bring great joy to all people. This is the moment that is marked by a glorious star because It is a glorious moment. The Bible says all would rejoice in this moment because it was so full of hope. Makes sense to me when I think about all that was happening, that the people's response would be to rejoice. But then my eyes went to the part that we read today in verse 13. My eyes wondered, and all of a sudden, no matter what I read, I couldn't get past the word after. After. After the miracle after the blessing, after the supernatural event, after the glory, after that incredible moment. And so it is with us, we have similar moments where in the natural right now, we're building up for Christmas, we're making preparation, we're buying the gifts, we're doing all of those things, we're, we're trying to put any worries or fears or burdens on the back burner for just a little bit and we're trying to go at this holiday, some of us, having lost loved ones, others having a, a broken heart, others' families in a difficult place, and you're going into the Christmas season preparing, but in your mind, you know there's after Christmas. There's the after the holidays. Spiritually, it's the same, same way. It doesn't matter what God does in your life, how glorious, how wonderful, how bright it is. There is the after seasons as well. And so in Matthew chapter two, verse 13 through 17, the angels that before were there declaring the goodness of God, now they're silent. The star that was there to guide people to that place now has faded. The wise men, the treasures, the worship, it's all over. There's no more stable, there's no more manger. And the after, the miracle after the glory sets in and they begin to go into their Egypt experience. This is where the threats of life became very real. This is where Joseph is wondering, can I protect Mary? Mary is fearful, can I protect Jesus? The rumors, the controversies that were going on before are now going to continue. The pain soon sets in that they're going to be living on the run, far from family, in a faraway land, That they're going to have to embrace the tedious task of raising a family in a world that is full of risk and danger and enemies and all kinds of threats. The pressures, the fears after, after the miracle, after the glory. I'm sure they never forgot how beautiful that day was. I'm imagining they will never forget that they had angelic encounters, that that there was this immaculate conception. and, And it seems surreal at times. I'm wondering if the wise men continued to talk about that moment. If they begin to talk to one another, how much they talk to others about how they encountered God's wonderful presence and the greatness of that day. Then they get back to the after. After. Where they have to manage real life. Anybody in here know that after church today, real life's waiting. And you have to manage. They say manage. You have to manage it. Now, I'm a boss, and I can just tell you that it is important that you manage. Now, not everybody has to be managed the same, but it is important that you manage things. If not, things get wasteful. If not, things begin to lose direction. If, if, if there's no management uh, teamwork begins to be... Uh, they begin to work against each other. If if there's no management, attitudes go wrong. And if there's no coaching and management, then things can again begin to get further and further away from God's divine plan for people when we come together to work together. And so it is with life. So many people waste years and years of their life because they don't Think about the idea that as good as God is, as much as he wants to do miracles in your life, at some point you have to wake up and you have to manage your life. You have to manage your family. You have to manage your time. You have to manage your emotions. You have to manage your past. You have to manage your future. You gotta manage it. Well, I thought God would do all that for me. That's not what happens here. And I say all this because maybe you're in the same kind of place that Mary and Joseph were. Maybe you're having your Egypt experience. Maybe you're facing the letdowns of life. Maybe you're looking at the loss of direction. And after all God has done in your life, up to this point, how is it that you find yourself in the place that you're in today? I'm wondering how Mary and Joseph thought. Egypt? Why Egypt? The angel showed up and said that the Holy Spirit would overshadow Mary. The angel showed up and taught Joseph how he was going to raise uh, God's son in partnership with Mary. All of the supernatural moments, the dreams, the leadership that God had given them up to that point. Now, after them laying down their life, them giving everything to God, now they're in Egypt. They find themselves in a place where they've got questions like we would have. Where do we go from here? How do I move on? How do I move forward? And they teach us that the Egypt experience is part of the Christmas story because it's part of every Christian's story. We all have glory days. We all have peaks. We all have mountaintops. And we all have after, after all that. Look at Noah. The Bible says that he built that incredible vessel that prepared them for the greatest storm the world had ever known. But after the flood, after the glory of surviving and and supernaturally making it through that moment and that event, Noah finds himself struggling with uh, drinking and alcohol, becomes drunk, and his sons see him in that naked, vulnerable moment, and His sons were so affected by that that one of his sons ended up actually having a curse on his life, which just basically removed the hand of God from his life. He just couldn't handle seeing his dad in that kind of a place. After. Elijah, after the glory of Mount Carmel, wants to take his own life because of depression. After. After. I've preached sermons. I've been at conferences. I've seen crowds you could not imagine. I've seen God use me in amazing ways. But there's the after. And I have to go home to my flesh. And I have to go home to the areas it doesn't seem like God is moving in any way. I have to go home to the failures that I see. I have to go home to the doubts and the questions too. After. It's a, there's an After. Stephen is there on the day of Pentecost where the mighty rushing wind fills the upper room and divided tongues as fire set on each and every one of them. They walk out of the room. Peter preaches 3,000 people are saved and baptized. A miraculous move begins to take place. Revival breaks out. The Bible says that they turned the known world upside down. But Stephen finds himself being stoned to death after Paul has this Damascus Road experience. And we would know that he faces 14 years of rejection from the church that God saved him to go minister to after. All of us have experiences like that. God moves. God speaks. God gets a hold of our heart. God cleanses. God washes. God free. God pours out his spirit on you, God gives you vision, he gives you a dream, he gives you hope, he gives you a brand new beginning, and then there's the after. The Bible says after they were enlightened, then they had to endure a great deal of affliction. For the Christian, we have to know there are times we lose our focus. There are times we have indecision. There are times we have deep questioning going on in our soul. There are times where we're in the depressing valleys of life too. And though it is God's plan to never leave us in the valley, we will go through the after seasons of life. We will go through the Egypt experiences. I love the fact that they didn't stay there. God took them to Egypt, but God did not leave them in Egypt. The Bible says it was to fulfill his prophetic word that his son was going to come out of that place. In other words, God was going to bring his son out of that kind of an experience. So it is with us that God leads us to greater places of impact and influence and deeper relationship with him, and he leads us to greater places of glory when we realize that even though we have the after, your past glories are not all you'll ever see. I cannot tell you how many years I've ended and I go into the new year and I say, man, God, that was an amazing year. I'm not so sure I can do that again. And the enemy starts whispering to me that your best days are behind you. Your greatest glory days are in your rear view mirror. And then I start wondering, am I cut out to do this, the long haul? Can I really do this decade after decade? No fear. This is not my resignation. But sometimes I wonder, sometimes I wonder, are my best days behind me? Anybody else like that? Can I do it again? What, what kind of things are going to start pulling at me? What, what kind of traps have been set that I'm not prepared for? What kind of snares am I not ready for? Am I strong enough? Am I, am I built for this? Can I really go the long call? Do I really have endurance to do this all the way through? It's the after. Past glories are not all we'll ever see. God still has greater places in your life. Right now, you may be saying, I'm in an Egypt experience, but God has greater places still in front of you. God still moves from glory to glory. And I don't minister to people from my mountaintops. And either do you. I get vision there. I can see further when I'm on the mountaintop. I get direction from the mountaintop. I get glimpses and pictures and, and, and some sense of how great God is and where he's wanting to take us, but it doesn't take long before I'm not on the mountaintop anymore and after the glory sets in. But this is where we're given the ability to relate This is where we're given the ability to minister to people because we don't relate to people when we're just talking about our wins and our successes. Come on. It wouldn't matter to you what successes I wanted to bring up to you today. Most of you wouldn't relate to that part of who I am. But you can relate to the failures. You can relate to the fears. You can relate to the fact that I feel inadequate, that I don't feel like enough sometimes you can relate to the wounds the scars that's because that's where you relate to people all across this room we have people that, that have faced incredible things, they've faced odds that were stacked against them but somehow they've overcome those things and those are the things that bring you back down to earth and allow you to love people and minister to people and have compassion on people. Those who have been through a broken home. Those who have watched their parents ripped apart. Those who have watched marriages ripped apart. Those who have been a part of that kind of a thing. Those who have lost a loved one this year. Those who have faced addiction and you try to get up off that and it pulls you back down. You, above all people, have something in you that, yes, God has moments that are going to be miraculous for you, but there's the after. And when you go through the after, when you, when you realize the after times of life is where God puts something in you that can relate and minister to people, that's when you start going through those times differently. Yes, yes, yes. You start thinking about them differently. If I can ever get on the other side of this, if I can ever lift myself out of this dark hole that I'm in, if I can ever find the strength to, to get on the other side of this, then then I'll be able to reach back and help others after the glory. I think that that's maybe the reason God placed the new year so close to Christmas. Because Christmas is that time where many of us are saying, it's all glorious, it's all wonderful, it's all a celebration. We thank God for all he's done. But yet, there's the after times as well. And so God gives us a new year. I think he gives us a new year so we can look back close that chapter, and find a way to stir up the courage on the inside to pick that pen back up and say, okay, 2024 has not been written yet. And do I have the courage to begin again and start a new chapter? And you cannot start that chapter until you decide to wrap up the last one. And so God gives us new years. As a church, every single year we begin in January with a 21-day fast which is not fast at all, it's very slow. I, I almost can hardly remember the years where I did not begin my year with a 21-day fast. I would say the reason I'm still pastoring today is because I give God every January. There's just something about that reset. There's something about pushing the pause button. There's something about saying, I've got to pull back and go at life differently than what I've been going at it. My disciplines get off. My flesh begins to take over. Uh, I, I begin to get lazy. I begin to, anybody else here like that? And the fast gets me back on track. The reason I want to take a minute and talk to you about this, we'll have Christmas Eve services, of course, this week, and we have services December 31st, and then the fast will begin after January 7th, I think it's January 7th or 8th, I think is, I don't have a calendar, but I'm, that's when the fast will begin, and we'll have 21 days because there's five Sundays in, is there five Sundays? I can't remember. Anyway, we'll have plenty of time to get the 21 days in January, begin January 7th or 8th. And I'm saying all this because I want you right now, how many of you have been a part of our fast in January? How many of you have not? Raise your hand. Wow. Now go ahead, if you've been through the fast, give, clap real quick and let them know they'll be all right. They'll be okay, you'll make it. Yes. Now we primarily do what's called a Daniel fast. That's 21 days of no meat, no sweets, um, no breads, that kind of stuff. It's primarily just going to be vegetables fruit, um, some, some nuts and things like that. That's pretty much makes up the Daniel fast. And for many people, that's what, that's what they'll do. This year, I'm gonna actually add on the front end something a little bit more, and I'm bringing this up so you can prepare, so you can begin to think about it and pray and decide if you want to join me in the very first part of the fast, just taking it up a notch From normal. If you've never fasted with us before, we tell people it's between you and God exactly what you fast. Some people cut off social media. Some people cut off, you know, various things. Everybody kind of does something different. But a real fast is going to be from from food and from those kind of things. That's really a real. But really, doesn't matter if you don't eat and then you're on your phone all the time, right? So, so fasting is not just not eating. It's pushing your plate back for a spiritual purpose. It's saying, I'm gonna give something up that I like, that I enjoy, for something I want more. And it's going to God through fasting and prayer. It's not just not eating. You couple fasting and prayer together. And the Bible says this kind only comes out through prayer and fasting. Speaking of, there's certain things you only overcome when you join your faith through prayer. You, with prayer and fasting and in faith, you go through a season saying, I'm not going into 2024 with that same struggle, with that same addiction, with that same sin, with that same attitude, with that same, I'm not doing it and I'm willing to give up something that everybody thinks is gonna say I'm crazy, that's fine, but there's something I want more. Job said that I desire his word more than necessary food. So it's just a desire for spiritual things, and as much as you hunger in that time, you use that hunger to drive you to prayer, to worship, and to feeding on God's word for a season, and it changes everything. It really does change everything. You will find focus come. You'll find a desire for spiritual things to enter your life like nothing else. And so if you've never been a part of a church that prays and fasts in January, I'm gonna challenge you. Start 2024 off with a season of prayer and fasting. So I'm going to begin. Now there's private fast. That's what you do personally. And then there's a public fast. That's what I'm calling. I'm calling the church to a public fast like I've done for 19 years. So a public fast is not me bragging. I have my personal private things that I do before God that you don't know anything about. But the public part of it is we do the Daniel fast, but I'm going to add on to the first seven days of that a water only fast for three to five days. Then we'll flip to liquid only through seven days. Now, you may not wanna do that, that's fine. And only people that are able, physically you're able, if you have a medical condition, you need to talk to your doctor. But I'm saying this to all the men that are here. I'm asking, I don't know if the women like this kind of a challenge, I don't know. But the men, I know you like a challenge. And so I'm putting it out there to say, beginning in, so you're gonna wanna kinda trickle into it Right? You're going to want to start cutting off certain things. Don't, don't eat a bunch of pizza the night before. You're going to want to start moving towards some salad. You're going to want to start moving towards you know, lightening your, to one meal a day. You're going to want to kind of ease into it. But I'm going to ask that you go into that first week. We're going to have times of prayer. It's going to be a beautiful time. I'm saying this because the after. What does the after look like? Discipline. Focus. Making the decision yourself, I'm gonna reprioritize. I'm gonna reevaluate. I'm going to regroup. And that only happens when you make a decision to go at things differently than you normally would. You don't have to do anything I'm suggesting you do. You're grown people. But I want God to do some things in 2024 that are beyond anything I can do in my own might and my own power. And I know that if Jesus fasted... Come on, Jesus, Jesus, by the way, did that for 40 days and 40 nights. (laughs) We can maybe make it five days. There's no prominent person in the scripture that did not pray and fast on a regular basis. You cannot find one New Testament author in your Bible that did not regularly pray and fast. And so I'm saying this so we can begin to say, okay, after Christmas, We're going to set our sights on making 2024 a year. We go after God like never before in Jesus' name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to hit the subscribe button. And if you want to experience daily content, messages, and inspiration, go ahead and sign up for Daily Bread with PM by visiting sevenhillschurch.tv forward slash DBPM. Thanks for listening to the Seven Hills Church podcast.